Amen. Well, if you would, go ahead and turn your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, we're continuing our series in the Gospel of Luke, and we're entering into a chapter that's really heavy on discipleship, really heavy on the call to be a disciple, the cost of being a disciple. And so before we read our passage, I just want to ask you, what comes to your mind, what comes to your heart? When you hear Jesus say the words, follow me. When you hear Jesus say the words, follow me. Do you have a lot of joy when you hear those words? Do you have a lot of fear when you hear those words? A lot of anxiety. Maybe you're a little suspicious of this King Jesus. You got your arms folded and you don't know really what all this is going to entail. But as we hear from God's word today, I pray that you would be blessed, you would be encouraged, that you would consider it joy to hear Jesus say, follow me. To see the call, to see all that Jesus gives you as you follow him as your disciple. We read these words from Luke chapter 9. It says, and he called the twelve together and he gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there, depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed, because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old has risen, had risen. Herod said, John I beheaded. But who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. On their return, the apostles told them all that they had done. And he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. And when the crowds learned it, they followed him. And he welcomed them and spoke to them and of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Now that they began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowds away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. They said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. For there were about five thousand men. And he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of 50 each. And they did so and had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces. Let's pray together. Lord we, Lord, we want to experience and be overjoyed by what we just sang, that Christ is ours forevermore, that our souls would rejoice because your 
love, knowing Jesus, following Jesus, having Jesus is all that we need. And Lord, I know that this morning in a room like this, there are people that are in different places when they hear those words, follow me. When they hear Jesus say, follow me, there's people that are a little suspect. There are people that are a little fearful. There's a, there are people that are anxious about what all that entails. But I pray this morning, Lord, that we would consider it joy to be your disciples. Not just because of what we get to do for the glory of your name, but because we get you. So Lord, help us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you. I want you. That was some of the earliest messaging from the U.S. military. Maybe you see those ads in your mind pre-World War I or World War II. I can't even say it. Maybe you can see the ads right now. The ads of patriotic Uncle Sam pointing his Bony, bony little uh, finger on the ad. Can you picture anybody? Anybody with me? Calling young men, the most courageous, the, the bravest, the strongest, the best to come and follow. The best to come and fight. One of these early ads read, I need you. I need you, capital letters, underlined, in the Navy, this minute. Our country will always be proudest of those who answered the first call. What's the first thing that comes to mind when you hear words like that? If you were to read words like that, the first thing that happens, if you're like me, is that you start looking at yourself. It's to turn inward toward yourself and, and to think, do I have what it takes? Am I the one that they're looking for? Am I ready for this kind of call on my life? What's the first thing that happens to you when you hear these words? Some people read these words, I want you from Uncle Sam. And you think proudly maybe, well, of course you want me. Like, of course you would want me, if you've seen how strong I really am, that I'm smart enough, that I'm brave enough. If, it, if anybody's going to make a difference, it's going to be me. While most of us might think, you don't, you don't want me. You don't want me. I could never do it. I'm not smart enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not gifted enough for the task at hand. Trust me, I will never be enough. You know, we can do the same thing when we hear the call of Jesus. When, when we read and we hear these words of Jesus, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. When, when we first hear these words, we can look inwardly at ourselves and, and we can start to grade ourselves and judge ourselves. And some of us could think foolishly. Of course Jesus wants me. I mean, if anybody's up for this, if anybody's up for being a disciple, I think I'm going to be tops on his list. Or you could look at yourself and think, Jesus wants nothing to do with me. J Jesus wouldn't want someone like 
me. I'm not who he's looking for. I will never be enough. Well, this morning as we open God's word to Luke chapter 9, as we hear Jesus calling his disciples to himself, as you hear Jesus calling you to follow him, you to follow him and to be a part of his kingdom ministry, his kingdom work. What makes you a disciple of Jesus is not the enoughness of you. It's the enoughness of Jesus. The last place you should be looking is looking at yourself. And the first place you should be looking is looking at Jesus. For the, for the Christian here this morning who wants to follow Jesus and feels like you're not enough, Jesus is enough for you. For the Christian wanting to see your family and your neighbors and your co-workers come to treasure Jesus like you, Jesus is enough for you. For the college student who, who wants to see revival on Western's campus, to see students who are pursuing this world falling in love with Jesus, Jesus is enough for you. For the believer here today who's wrestling with the desire to go overseas, who, who feels insufficient for a task like that, Jesus is enough for you. For the mother feeling completely helpless that her kids will ever cling to Jesus. Jesus is enough for you. So my prayer this morning is, Lord, would you help us be true disciples of Jesus by finding all that we need in Jesus. Not looking at ourselves, not looking inward at you and your abilities and your gifts and your enoughness and feeling paralyzed by your weaknesses, but turning your eyes to look upon Jesus and all that he has for you. First thing I want us to see in our passage is that the disciples of Jesus receive the power of Jesus. The disciples of Jesus receive the power of Jesus. The, the idea of having disciples or followers it's, it's not unique to Jesus. I don't know if you know that. This, this discipleship didn't start with Jesus. It happened all the time in, that, er, in the early years when Jesus was living. In the synagogue. Most rabbis would have followers or disciples of Jesus. Men who in their early age were advanced in the law. And they would say, come and follow me. These men would have people with them all the time. I'm, Disciples who were eating with them. Disciples who were listening to their teaching. Disciples that they were teaching stories and, and they were traveling with them. Wherever they went, they would follow with them. Every footstep that they took even slept in the same places they slept. They said early in those early years that you could see a rabbi's followers just by watching them from a distance. By the way they talked and the way they walked, the way they acted, he must be a follower of this rabbi. But, but notice in our passage, when Jesus calls the twelve together, he doesn't just give them good teaching. When Jesus calls them, he doesn't just give them a good example. Here's a life that you need to imitate. No, Jesus 
gives them power and authority to do what they could never do in themselves. That they could never do on their own. Look at verse 1. And he called the twelve together and he gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. Listen, brothers and sisters, all the power belongs to Jesus. All the power belongs to Jesus. And he graciously gives this power, the power and authority of Jesus, to his followers, to his disciples. He gives us his authority, means the right to do what Jesus can do. And he gives us the power, which means he gives you the ability to do what only Jesus can do. He gives you the the Holy Spirit, the, the power, supernatural power for ordinary disciples to do the extraordinary. To do what only Jesus could do. This is not power that any of us have in and of ourselves. The disciples, the apostles did not have this power in themselves. We don't have it. We need it from outside of ourselves. So no disciple should hear the calling of Jesus, hear what Jesus is calling them to do, and think, you know what, that that sounds pretty easy. No disciple should look at their own abilities and their own gifts, look at themselves, their own personality even, and say, well, of course I could do that. Of course, he needs me. Christian ministry, really living the Christian life, is not natural to any of us. It is supernatural. Supernatural. Now, when we read these words, these early accounts of the apostles in Luke and even in Acts, we see that some of this ministry is uniquely given to the apostles, given to these early church apostles so that they might cast out all demons, that, that they might cure all diseases so that it would attest to the truth that Jesus Christ is risen. We see that throughout the book of Acts. Every miracle points back to the truth that this message of Jesus Christ is true. But what I want our hearts to believe this morning, what what I want Christ's fellowship to be utterly convinced of this morning is that we can't do anything without the power of Jesus working through us. I know we we, we might believe that. We, We might say that's true, but are we convinced? Are we convicted? Do we operate on the truth that we can't do anything without the power of Jesus working through us we can't plant churches we can't replant forest park we can't share the gospel we can't disciple new believers we can't reach unreached peoples like the zaza people in turkey or the netherlands we we can't raise up kids that love jesus we can't even stay unified or worship here today or even read our bibles without god powerfully working Do we believe that? That we need Jesus. We need the power of Jesus in our lives. Because Jesus plays this song over and over again. Think about in John when he says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in them, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. 
not some things, not a good amount of things, but you can do nothing apart from me. Or in Matthew 28, do you remember what he says when he gives the Great Commission? He first says, all authority in heaven on earth have been given to me. And because Jesus has all power and authority, that's why he can say, go and make disciples. Because he gives his disciples the power and authority that only belong to him. So maybe you're one of those people here this morning. Maybe you're doing ministry working for a ministry on Western's campus. Maybe you're working in the high schools or middle schools with kids. Maybe you want your your children to love Jesus. You want your neighbors to know Jesus. But you look at yourself and you say, I am, who is sufficient for this? I am totally insufficient. I'm totally inadequate. I am weak. I cannot do this work. I don't have what it takes to, to be a disciple let alone make disciples. I I can never live overseas. I don't have the gifts. I don't have the words. I don't have the abilities. I I don't have what it takes to change someone's heart, to change people's hearts, to change the hearts of my kids or my neighbors or my lost friends. And you are exactly right. You are not enough. But the good news is that the disciples of Jesus get the power of Jesus. We get the power of the Holy Spirit working in us and through us that other people might treasure Jesus and love Jesus. Well, the second thing we see is that the disciples of Jesus, they don't only get the power of Jesus, they get, they share the purpose of Jesus. Up to this point in the life of Jesus, his own ministry has been marked by two tasks. He's going to go preach the kingdom of God and Heal people. Work miracles. And then in verse 2, after Jesus gives them his power, we read this. He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. You see that Jesus calls them to continue the ministry that he's already doing. That's why we read in verse 6, And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. This is what all disciples of Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, this is what all disciples of Jesus are called to do. It might take different shapes in my life. It might take a different shape in my life than it takes in your life. Some of us might do it as a pastor. Some could do it as a missionary. Some could do it as a teacher or as a factory worker, as a construction worker, as a businessman. As a nurse, as a Western student, or as a mom, we all have different ways that God is calling us to do this. But every single one of us is called to share the gospel and serve hurting people just like Jesus. Every single one of us. And not one is better than the other. God has given you your unique task that you could carry out the purpose of Jesus. What does it mean when he says that he, they shared the kingdom or they shared the gospel? Well, the first sermon Jesus ever preached, his first public sermon was this. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Y'all are like, that's a good linked sermon. We should do that. That's, a good, that's one sentence. That's good. I'm sure there were more words. But the, the, 
thrust of his whole message. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom is here. Repent and believe the gospel. So I'm sure when the apostles were going to these villages, that's what they were saying. The kingdom has come. The the king is here. Repent and believe. Yet for us, the the message is even more clear. Because we stand on this side of the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so we know that there is a risen king. So yes, we say the king has come. But we also say the king has come and and the king has died on a cross in your place. The the death you deserve to die, taking the punishment that was yours. And three days later, this king rose again victoriously. And now you must, everybody must, repent and believe the gospel. Repent and cast all your hope on Jesus. Did you know that the ministry of Jesus did not cease when Jesus ascended into heaven? Jesus didn't take early retirement at age 33 and now is playing the the finest golf courses in heaven right now. Like Jesus isn't collecting seashells now after he crossed over on the far side of the Jordan. No, Jesus' ministry is still thriving. Jesus is still building his church. His purpose is still continuing. And and this is how he's doing it. Jesus is carrying on his ministry through you. Through you sharing the good news of the gospel. Through you sharing his purpose today as his disciples. Did you know that that Luke has a sequel to his gospel? Maybe some of y'all didn't know that. He has a sequel called The Book of Acts. The Book of Acts. And it begins this way in Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In the first book, the Gospel of Luke, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Do you see that? That he began to do. You know what he's saying? Jesus began his work 2,000 years ago. And he's continuing his work through the early church. And now he's continuing it it through you. The ministry of Jesus is continuing through you. And, And so how freeing is that for you? It's not about what we can do, but it's about what Jesus is doing in and through us. You know, Christ's fellowship is not a testimony of what anybody in this room has ever done. It's a testimony of Jesus building his church. And in the fall, when we send a a core group and the the Starks go over to Forest Park to, to replant Forest Park, it'll never be built on their power or their gifts or their abilities or their purposes. No, it'll be Jesus saying, I will build my church. We just get the freedom to preach the gospel, to serve and to care for hurting people and let Jesus do what only he can continue to do. I typically tell people when they ask about my ministry, I say, well, I can sum up my ministry pretty easily. Preach the gospel and get out of the way. Simple philosophy. I'm just going to preach Jesus, talk about Jesus, and let Jesus do what only Jesus can do when he says, when I'm lifted up, 
I will draw all people unto myself. Number three, the disciples of Jesus need the perspective of Jesus. The fame of Jesus here is really growing. It, Luke 9 is pretty much the apex of Jesus' public ministry. Right before all the opposition is going to start to begin, we find Luke 9. And, and the crowds are coming from everywhere to, to hear Jesus, to see Jesus, to watch what Jesus could do. We, we even read in our passage that Herod is hearing about Jesus. His fame has come to this place where, where Herod is scratching his head and, and saying, Who is this? I thought I, I took off John the Baptist's head. Who, who is this? What is going on? So, so with the crowds growing and the disciples growing weary of ministry, Jesus, it says, takes them out to this desolate place called Bethsaida, this remote area. This was common, if you've read the Gospels, for Jesus. After long hours of ministries, he would withdraw to pray and to rest a while. So I think we read that, we can see, it shouldn't be foreign to the disciples of Jesus. If you're never withdrawing, if you're never resting to find rest from the work you're doing and all you're doing for Jesus to just be with Jesus, then you're doing it wrong. Jesus needed time to be alone with his Father, and so do all his disciples. Now, if you're anything like me, like if I'm one of my disciples, put yourself in one of the disciples' feet in that moment. I've already unplugged at this point. And I've like taken my sandals off and put them to the side and found myself a comfy rock to get all situated on and kind of relax under a shady tree. I'm checked out like emotionally and mentally. I've, I've totally flipped the, the ministry switch to off for the moment. It's time for some me time. I know we all know what that is, right? Some, some me time. I've gone hard for others for days. It's time for me to do something for me. And so put yourself there relaxing on your boulder. Got your head on your boulder and your sandals are off. You're relaxing a little bit. Imagine that with me. And then you turn around and you see 5,000 men. 5,000 men. This isn't counting their lovely wives and their rowdy kids that are coming with them. We're talking about just the 5,000 men. In that moment, just to be honest with you, in that moment, my heart is not feeling joy. My, my heart is not feeling selfless. I'm not going towards ministry. I'm not ready to engage people in that moment. But, but look where Jesus' heart is says this, when the crowds learned it, they followed him, and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Notice Jesus doesn't say, can I just get one second for myself? Like, can, can you just give me a minute? Just give me a minute. We've been going hard no, he, he doesn't say, can you see that I'm doing something? Can, can you quit interrupting me? 
I'm updating my story on Facebook or Instagram about all the great things I've done for people and how they should like it and all this stuff. And I don't have time for you right now. No, Jesus was never inconvenienced by ministry. Jesus is never interrupted by people in need. Jesus never paused his purpose. No, instead it says he spoke to them of the kingdom of God. He continued to do what he's been doing. He he cured those who had need of healing. Now first, that should be comforting to us because that means this morning that Jesus sees you and that Jesus notices you and that Jesus, not for a second, has ever been bothered for you to come with you, to come to him in your time of need. He's never once been bothered by you, but he instead welcomes you, invites you to himself. I love what Dane Ortland says. He says, talking about Matthew 11 and Jesus being gentle and lowly of heart, says this, the point in saying that Jesus is lowly is that he's accessible. For all his resplendent glory and dazzling holiness, his supreme uniqueness and otherness. Listen to what he says. No one in human history has ever been more approachable than Jesus Christ. How beautiful is that? No one in in human history has ever been more approachable than Jesus Christ. Lord, help us grow in this. Help me grow in this. Help me grow in, in never feeling inconvenienced. Never feeling interrupted. Not feeling bothered so easily. I'm just conf- I'm up here confessing my own sin. Maybe I'm the only one in the room where, but, but Lord, help me always be approachable. Help me always be ready to welcome, to receive, to invite. Could anybody say that about you, that, that, that you're the most approachable person that they know? I wish I was making this up, but yesterday afternoon, while I was working on writing this out, and working on this very point, my little boy Crosby wanted to, to come in and needed some help on his iPad. Needed help just for a second. Daddy, Daddy, can you help me? And my, my heart immediately went to, can you see that I'm busy? While talking about the gracious welcome of Jesus Christ. It's always ready to welcome those who are hurting and needing unto himself. What if every time a kid walked in the room during a game, our heart said, what what does the Lord have for me here? What if someone interrupting your work or, or breaking up your meeting, what if our heart said, Jesus must be up to something right here? What if a change in your day, like a a flat tire, was actually the Lord detouring you to the lost that need Jesus? What if the waitress taking so long at the restaurant is the Lord wanting you to linger a, a little bit longer so that someone might know the love of Christ? 
Disciples of Jesus should see every seemingly inconvenience as a divine interruption of Jesus. God, what do you have for us? A divine interruption for the joy of others and for the glory of Jesus. Because remember, that's our purpose. That's why we're all here. That's all we, why we've been saved by Jesus. That we might spread the gospel of Jesus and save and serve those who are hurting and who need Jesus. This is the heart of Jesus, and it should be our heart, too. What would it look like if we were a church that, that always prioritized the person right in front of us? That always prioritized whoever the Lord brought before us? And it doesn't count that they're on your phone. Whoever's in the flesh and blood right in front of you, who, who is presence is there with you, that they might know the love in the presence of Jesus. Because we need, we as the disciples of Jesus, we as Christ Fellowship Church, we need the power of Jesus and we need the purpose of Jesus, but we need the heart of Jesus just as much. That's why without skipping a beat, Jesus doesn't even feel bothered for a moment, but welcomes them to himself. That's why without skipping a beat, when the disciples are panicking, Jesus says, hey, you give them something to eat. Finally, the disciples of Jesus rest in the provision of Jesus. Rest in the provision of Jesus. You know the feeding of the 5,000 is the only miracle that's in every gospel. Which should tell us that this is very important to the followers of Jesus. It's an important miracle. It's probably the clearest work of Jesus that displays the power of Jesus and the provision of Jesus at the same time. Can you imagine the look on the disciples' face when Jesus says, hey, you give them something to eat. The worry, the panic. Can you imagine what they were thinking when they told Jesus, Jesus, all we got is a combo meal from Captain D's. And so I don't know if we can really do this. And then Jesus responds without skipping a beat. You have them go sit down in groups of 50. And can you imagine the fear and the anxiety as Jesus took the bread and fish and he looked up to heaven and he started blessing this humble meal. I'm sure they were shaking their heads saying, we're about to have an angry mob out on this hillside. But then can you imagine with me, as they start passing out the bread, and every time that they return to Jesus, Jesus' hands are full. And can you imagine as they pass out food to 5,000 men's some think over 15,000, counting women and children. And can you imagine seeing the look on those people's faces as they, the Bible says they were full and they were satisfied. And then in the end, when they come back, and it says the 12 disciples gather 12 baskets of broken pieces, and they find themselves full and satisfied as well. Listen, this isn't by accident. The, the 12 who receive the power of Jesus also get the provision of Jesus. 
It's not by accident that the 12 that were gathered in the beginning are finishing with 12 baskets full of leftover bread. And what Jesus is inviting us to, brothers and sisters, this morning is to rest in the fullness of Jesus. To rest in the fullness of Jesus. The, the story invites us, teaches us to rest in Jesus' great provision for you. When you feel anxious, when you feel fearful, when you worry about how would I carry on that ministry, how would I ever live overseas, I don't know if I have the gifts, I don't know if I have the ability, I don't know if I have the resources. And Jesus, in this passage, clearly teaches that he knows your every need. He cares for your every need, and he will supply your every need out of the fullness of all that he is. Again, no one in this room cares about the mission of Jesus continuing more than Jesus. How freeing is that? No one cares about the mission of Jesus continuing more than Jesus himself. So Jesus, who calls the first disciples, Jesus, who gives them the power of the Holy Spirit, will also give them this day their daily bread. And they can bank all their trust and hope in Jesus. It's what Paul tells the church at Philippi when he says this, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Do you hear that? He'll supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. He's talking about the fullness of Jesus to give you what, everything that you need to bring him glory and bring others joy. Missionary Hudson Taylor said it this way. He was a missionary to China. He says, God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. Well, if you're anything like me as we close, it, it's so easy to look at ourselves, isn't it? I mean, we spend our, our days, our weeks looking at ourselves, our abilities, our gifts, our lack of gifts, our talents, our weaknesses. And we turn in on ourselves and look at ourselves. And if you're like me, when we do this, it's easy to either become very prideful or it's easy to become very paralyzed in the mission of Jesus. either very paralyzed or very prideful. And I do both of these all the time. But brothers and sisters, the, the best part of being a disciple of Jesus is Jesus. The best part of being a disciple of Jesus is Jesus. You get Jesus. You don't just get his salvation that saves you from your sins and gives you life for eternity. No, today, for the mission of Jesus, you get the power of Jesus. And you get to share in the purpose of Jesus. And you get the heart and the perspective of Jesus. And you can bank your life that you'll get the provision of Jesus to give you all that you need for the joy of the people in your life to know Jesus. For your own joy. And most of all, for the glory 
of Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that this morning that you would give us complete confidence in Jesus. Not in ourselves and being good enough or strong enough or smart enough or gifted enough. Lord, just simply being enough. Lord, we know that we all fall short. We all fall short in our weakness, Lord. We even fall short in our sin because we've sinned and fallen short of the glory of Jesus. But Lord, remind us this morning, remind us that when Jesus says the words, come and follow me, Lord, the emphasis is on the me, that the best part of being a disciple of Jesus is that we get Jesus. That we get freedom and salvation from our sins. That, that we get His power. That we get His purpose. Lord, we get His perspective and His provision. That, that Jesus will always be enough for us. So Lord, I pray this morning for those who have never been a disciple of Jesus, who've never repented of their sins and trusted in this King who would live and die for them and rise again. Lord, I pray that they would look and see that Jesus is enough for them. Jesus is enough to save them, and Jesus is enough to send them as His disciples. And Lord, I pray that You would fill Your people with the, the confidence with the peace, with the joy of knowing that all I have is Christ. All we have in this life, all we have is Jesus Christ, and Jesus will always be enough for us. Lord, would you help us in this by the power of your Spirit. Do a supernatural work in and through us. Lord, not only for our joy, but for the joy of this city, for the joy of unreached peoples in Turkey and in Netherlands and Morocco and Malaysia and Serbia. Lord, for unreached people who have never heard of Jesus, Lord, would you fill us with more of Jesus? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.